This morning we talked about Job and the example that Job is to each of us when the wives of our lives come along and and disrupt what we normally would expect from day to day and how we respond to that with our reactions to those wives. We talked about that and tonight I want us to talk about another example that we need to put to use in our lives, but there are a whole lot of aspects of life that we need to learn to adjust to God other than just the terrible things that happen in life, right? I mean, we all have had some bad things happen to us in life, but for the for the majority, for the most part, we've had a lot of good things happen to us. And, and so we need to make sure that we do not get caught up in wonderful things of this life and careers going well, children being healthy, uh, fellowship with one another and the love that we share, and then in some way try to, or not try to, but come uh, uh, come to not appreciate where we need to be with God as much as we should, because that happens also. So I want us to talk for a few moments tonight about Christ as our example, and talk a little bit about the things that He did, and how we can make some kind of application to our lives. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Let's read verses 17 through 19. And Jesus going up to Jerusalem, Matthew 20 beginning with 17, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. Now that's a wonderful example statement. Someone looks at that and they say, well how in the world is that an example statement to us? He foretold of his death, he's going to go to a place where he knew they were lying in wait for him because that's just the kind of people he was dealing with. They wanted to come and snatch him up at night uh, under the cover of darkness, but that's how sin operates normally. So how can that necessarily be an example to us? Well, I was reading some time back, and uh, I think it was a Reader's Digest article I was reading, and many, many years ago in the colder parts of our nation, a uh, father had gone outside with his son and they were going to clear some ice off of the driveway and then uh, they were going to clear the ice off of the car and they were going to take a trip. So the, the father and the, the young son went out and uh, with a baseball bat and he began to knock chunks of ice off the driveway with that. And so he would do it for a little while and he would give the give his young son the bat and he would do it for a little while. Well, the father got cold and I don't I don't guess that children... Uh, get cold very much. I can remember growing up. Now, I wasn't one of these. Uh, you know, a kid could jump in water. It didn't matter how cold it was. I've seen my girls do it. It doesn't get too cold to go swimming when you're supposed to be waiting. But I never did like the cold like that. But it's been my experience with other children. It doesn't bother them too bad. So dad got cold and he needed to go in and warm up. Well, the son just stayed out and he was continuing to chip ice off of the, uh, Driveway, well here in a, a little while the son came in, uh, the father was getting ready to uh, go back out and they were going to chip ice off of the car, windshield and, and uh, the door handles and so the son comes in and says, well, I took care of it. He says, well what do you mean you took care of it? He, he, How'd you do that? He said, with well, that baseball bat. 
So he cleared every bit of ice off the glass and the door handles. And, uh, you know, so they didn't have any more door handles or ice or windows for that matter. And the point is that whether the dad realized it or not, he was being an example to that son, wasn't he? That son was following in his footsteps. So if we're going to have our children, or anybody for that matter, follow in our footsteps, we better make sure we're stepping in the right direction. And so when we look at a statement that Christ made, where he said, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm, the Son of Man's going to be arrested. He's going to be uh, thrown into prison. He's going to be tried. And he's going to be murdered at the hands of wicked people. You know, that is an example to us. And Jesus wants us to follow in his footsteps. Now, we need to understand, we're going to get to that, exactly what he meant when he said that. We're not going to travel anywhere voluntarily and uh, hand over our lives to people who want to kill us. I mean, we could do that today, couldn't we? We could get on an airplane and we could fly over to the Middle East. We could go to Iraq or Iran or Syria or any number of places and begin preaching the gospel, Pakistan. And we could, hey, we're not going to do it long. And they'll lift our heads right off our bodies. But that's not what he's talking about, is it? He's talking about something else. He wanted us to try our best to be like him as he lived in this world. And this passage we just read is a perfect example of that. Now I want us to uh, back up just a little bit. And after instituting the Lord's Supper, John chapter 13, beginning with verse 12, the Lord rose from the table, he girded his loins, he picked up that uh, outer covering that they wore, those robes, and he girded that up around his waist, and that's what they would do when when they would work. And he took a towel, and that's what he girded his uh, clothing with, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And he came to each one of them, and, and he washed their feet. Now, I want you to notice what he asked them after this was over. John 13, beginning with verse 12. He said, you know what I've done to you? You know, they were sitting there in awe. And we recall what Peter said. Peter said, you know, it's almost as you can see him, see him recoiling his feet. Oh, you're not going to wash my feet. I appreciate what Peter's sentiment was. You, I mean, this is the Lord of the world, the King of kings. He said, you're not going to wash my feet. But that's just another example of Peter speaking before he thought. Then the Lord went on to say, you call me Master and Lord and you say, well... For so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Now, is that the only example Christ gave that we're to follow? No, not at all. That's just one example, isn't it? Now, I don't think it is coincidental that many, many years later, Peter told those who were scattered abroad, he referred back to that. If you'll notice 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning verse 21. 1 Peter 2, beginning verse 21. He said, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. Christ left an example. That ye should follow His footsteps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body and on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes 
Ye were healed, for ye were sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishops of your souls. You know, it wasn't about washing feet at all, was it? It was about following the example. So we look at this example in John 13. We go back to Matthew 20 where our text is, and we see that it wasn't about washing feet. It's about how to live an example or by the example of Christ in this world. And that's what He expects us to do, each and every one of us. It's about living a life of sacrifice, doing the things that He's asked us to do. So I want us to ask, to ask ourselves a question tonight. I think the, the, the whole of Christendom ought to ask this question, and we ought to ask ourselves this regularly. Are we serious about following Jesus? That's the title of the sermon tonight. Are we serious about following Jesus? Because if we are, Jesus walked to Jerusalem and gave His life so the world could live. Christ girded Himself with a towel and He washed the dirty, nasty feet of those apostles who didn't deserve it. Not just them. We're not picking on them. Not a one of us here would deserve it. For an example to us, are we serious about following Jesus? If we're going to be serious about following Jesus, we have to prepare ourselves. And I want us to notice some examples. And we're going to talk about how Christ prepared Himself through that statement found in Matthew 20. But we have to prepare ourselves. And we have to start with a plan. That's our first point. Christ had a plan. And His plan was, very simply stated, was to be determined. He was determined to do what God asked Him to do. And that's the example that has been left for us. Are we serious about following Jesus? We better be. And if we are, we have to be determined to do that. That has to be our plan. Before God, the Word became Jesus. He and the other two members of the Godhood had an eternal plan, didn't they? Ephesians 3 verse 11. And we see that happen and we see that manifest itself in John chapter 1. The Word was in the beginning, the Word was with God, the Word was God. We'll get over to John 1 verse 14, and, and Christ manifest Himself physically into this world. And John said we could feel Him, we could touch Him, we could see Him, we could uh, talk to Him, we could do everything. He was a physical person. And that's the whole point, uh, it seems, of John's writings in his epistle, the first uh, first John and in the, the uh, account of Christ's life, the gospel according to John was to prove that He was God. So before he ever came into this physical world as the man-God, he was God in eternity and he had a plan. Paul said this, Ephesians 3 verse 9, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who, how's the world supposed to learn about Christ? Through the church, period. That's why the Mission Society uh, was uh, not a scriptural organization back when Brother McGarvey and, and, and a lot of those other uh, later restoration movement uh, brethren when they decided to put the missionary society together. That's not, we don't read about that in the Bible. The church, the people, the each congregation, the Lord's people has a duty to the area in which they live and abroad 
to make the manifold wisdom of God apparent to the world. You don't get it through some other organization. And they may have good intentions. They may have good intentions. They might teach the truth. But if you have a missionary society, that's not the church. That's not the church. And so that's why we don't do that. That's why that uh, was stopped. And that's why Brother McGarvey and those other men came to the understanding that was incorrect. We have some organizations in the world today, the Disaster Relief Fund. Uh, the, the Church of Christ, the Disaster Relief. And a good friend of mine uh, supports that. Asked, told me, he said, you ought to support this. I said, I, I don't, I'm not interested in another missionary society. He said, oh, he got upset with me. He said, that's not the missionary society. There's just a few of them. You ought to check it out. I did check it out. There, there's never an organization with just a few people. It has a huge hierarchy. You know, are they doing a good work when a hurricane comes along? Absolutely. You know, that's great. But the church is supposed to do that. The church is supposed to do that. He said, well, how many churches are able to do it? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You need, you're supposed to able yourself to do it. Enable yourself, right? Just because someone can't do it at the time doesn't mean we start another organization. So that's not what happens. The eternal purpose and plan was for the church to let that information known. See, that ought to tell us something about our plans, shouldn't it? We ought to have a plan. We ought to be determined to follow the example of Jesus. If we're going to emulate Him in our lives, we better have a plan. We better understand the plan. We better understand what it entails. Because it's not easy. It's not easy. Should we be concerned with the future? Absolutely we ought to be concerned with the future, right? One man said, and I love this example, I've used it a lot because I love it so much. We're going to spend the rest of our lives in the future if we live in this world, aren't we? We better be concerned with the future. And so, if we live, we're going to be living in the future. We need to make a plan that as I live in the future, now I don't know if I'm going to make it to the future, right? But I need to plan as if I'm going to make it to the future. And so I know how I'm going to behave in this life. I'm going to follow Christ's example. And we see in our passage for us that Christ was concerned with the future, wasn't he? He said, I'm going to go up. We're going to go up. I'm going to be taken into the hands of these wicked people. I'm going to be murdered. I'm going to be uh, killed. I'm going to be buried. But I'm going to come back out of that grave on the third day. He was very concerned with the future. And that's exactly why we need to have a plan. We need to be in submission and trusting to God and trust his plan. If, if the Christ trusted the plan of the Father, we ought to trust the plan of the Father. Paul told the brethren how to prepare for that. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. We read, we've read that a bunch. Talking about the Christian armor. Putting on the Christian armor, right? All those different aspects of the armor. And Paul was very familiar with the Roman government. He was very familiar with Roman rule. And he knew how the Roman soldier was dressed. And he had to have every aspect of that armor if he went to battle. <clears throat> no different for the Christian. Now, the sword that the, the Roman soldier wielded, a little different than the sword that Paul spoke of for the Christian. The sword Paul spoke of is the Word of God. Right? We can't go into battle without the Word of God. We can't go into the battle without the helmet of salvation. We can't go into battle without the belt of truth or the, the shoes of the knowledge of God. We can't go into battle without all those things. So Paul spoke of that. 
And as the Lord walked with His disciples, He spoke of this determination about how He would fulfill that plan. And He described to them what would happen. You have to be determined. That's kind of, That sounds easy on the front end, doesn't it? Being determined. But then when we hear that description of what we're going to endure, now maybe things are a little different. See, it wasn't different for Christ. He had a plan. He was determined. And now notice the description. He said he was going to be mistreated by the Gentiles and the Jewish leaders. Did that make him turn around? No, it didn't make him turn around. He kept on walking. That's what the Christian is supposed to do. He was determined to do it for our benefit. Did it benefit him? It didn't personally benefit Christ as the human, as the man. It didn't benefit him to suffer. It benefited him spiritually because being God, the God who had determined what this plan was, so he was being faithful to that. But why do it in the first place? For his great love for us. You know, the description of our plan isn't that much different. We're not giving our physical lives, but often the Christian, and we're fortunate in this nation. In our land, we don't have to worry about persecution. You know what the greatest persecution is we have normally in this world? Someone talking ugly to us. That's about it, isn't it? Someone talking ugly to us. There are other places in the world where they'll kill you. And they still remain faithful in those nations, those who are Christians. But Christ determined to do that. We have to be willing to suffer at the hands. Now here is here is a good example of where we might make a connection here to what Christ said. We're not suffering now, but what if we do suffer? What if things change, right? Christ wasn't suffering at that time. He could have stopped what He was doing at that point, going on about His business, lived to be an old man in this physical world, I guess, and not had to go through what He went through. Now, it wouldn't be good for everyone that came along after Him or before Him, but He could have done that. That was a possibility, right? I guess it was a possibility. Jesus, the God's going to do what, he's, what He plans to do, but... In our mindset, he hadn't done it yet. Well, we haven't suffered really in this life to amount to anything, but would we? Would we? Can we look at the description of those who did, uh, particularly in the Revelation, and would I be willing to endure that description? Well, that's something we need to ask ourselves. Are we serious about following Jesus? And that question was asked. And Jesus told those in the Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, He said, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days or, or a particular amount of time. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Did, did Christ fear death? No, He didn't fear death. He didn't fear anything. Bravest man who's ever walked this world. Did he want to go suffer at the hands of people? No, not at all. No one who is sane would want to do that. No one wants to go be nailed to a cross and whipped nearly to death prior to that and then hung up until you finally expire on the cross right before they come along, break your legs so you can't raise yourself up and get a breath of air. Well, of course he wasn't looking forward to that, but he wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid by any stretch of the imagination. But, but how are we able to do that? Because of what He did for us, we can emulate what He did. We can be faithful. We can endure if necessary. 
And just enduring everyday life is something we need to consider too, right? And then we can lay our hands on a crown of life because Jesus had a plan to save people. And uh, when we read of his carrying out that plan, you know, we don't have a lot of detail, but, but it is very barbaric. It was very barbaric. It doesn't state so much in the Bible. It just simply says they had him scourged or they nailed him to the cross. There's a whole lot went along with that. And we can study that, and that's what that's not what our lesson tonight, our sermon tonight is particularly about, but it is one aspect of it. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it was barbaric. Most people didn't make it through the scourging, and he did. And then he walked up carrying that cross beam, his own method of execution, and he allowed himself to be thrown down. You know, when we hear that term, we, it's hard for us to really appreciate that, but we must imitate what he did. It isn't just simply enough to say, I'm going to obey, right? We need to be determined to carry out the plan, even when we fully understand the description of that plan and the things that might happen. That's what Jesus did. Jesus not only planned to obey the Father, he did obey the Father. We talked a little bit about about that in class this morning, speaking of Martin Luther, he had all kinds of great plans and ideas, and he was right in a lot of those things. But he was not a man of action. He didn't carry out. He, he simply wrote about it. <clears throat> not so with, with our Lord. He was a man of action. If we're going to be serious about following Jesus, we have to be a plan. And like him, we must persist in our plan. That's our second point. We have to be persistent. Christ stayed on the cross so we could live. Now think about it. Don't you think he had had enough by the time they nailed him to that cross? Don't you think he had had enough by the time he had been hanging there for some time and people <clears throat> came by and began to mock him and wag their finger at him and say, oh, he could save other people, but he can't save himself. If you're the Christ, come on down. Don't you think maybe he was, he was over their attitude at that point and he was full of their hatred, and he was sick and tired of looking down at those people who were treating him that way. Now, that's I'm considering myself when I make those statements because I'd have been over it. I'd have been sick of their hatefulness. I'd have been sick of their mocking. I wouldn't have stayed on the cross. That's just the truth of the matter. I wouldn't have stayed on the cross. I said, you want me to come down? You better rethink that. Because if I come down, it's not going to be good. You know, it's almost like the parent telling the child, right? Don't make me pull over. Better straighten up back there. Don't make me come in the bedroom. Better go to sleep. Don't make me come down from this cross. Because if he'd come down from the cross, it'd been over for everybody. He stayed on the cross. It wasn't the nails. He created the substance from which the nails were made. It wasn't the the wooden cross that he created the tree from which they carved it. It wasn't any of those things. It was his great love. His great love kept him on the cross and he stayed and endured more than we can. We can't even imagine what he endured. We were talking about that in class on, I think it was Thursday morning maybe, talking about uh, the, the Passion of the Christ, the movie that came out many, many years ago. I watched that. Nicole and I watched that. Almost 20 years ago, I guess. Oh, that was a t terrible movie. Terrible. I wouldn't suggest that to anybody. I wanted to watch it 
to try to get some kind of a, a idea of what the Christ went through. And it did well. It did well. I don't think it covered it really, all that he endured. But it, it got you headed in that direction. And it was terrible. It was, it was gut-wrenching. It was uh, emotionally uh, terrifying, the things that, that someone can do to someone else, especially someone like the Christ. So we have to endure. He stayed on the cross. And look, we have to stay in the church, don't we? We have to stay in the church. Does anyone ever get their feelings hurt? Well, if you're ever around people, you're going to get your feelings hurt from time to time. And about 99.9% of the time, it's unintentional. Okay? It's unintentional. Not always unintentional. Some people are a little mean sometimes, right? But we still have to endure. We can't just up and leave the, the, the church Christ built with His own blood. We have to stay in there. Why? Because of our love for God and our love for each other. If someone's misbehaving, let's show enough love to them to remain and encourage them to do better. Right? That's what Christ did. He stayed on the cross and He was steadfast in remaining faithful. What an example to us. We need to emulate that. Christ made a statement in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. And Paul understood exactly what that, what that meant. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. Fought the good fight, kept the faith. Now he knew there was a crown of righteousness awaiting him, not to him only, but all those who love his appearing, all those who look forward to Christ coming back. But how am I able to do what Paul did? Am I serious about following Jesus? How do I do what Paul did? Well, Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me, Matthew 16, 24. But that, that sounds good. But we need to understand what that means. What's it mean to carry a cross with us every day? I think far too many people think that carrying a cross means I go to services on Sunday, Sunday morning. Even Wednesday night, I always go to services. They feel like any time the church meets, if we have a gospel meeting or we have a vacation Bible school or we have a summer series or whatever, we're, they feel like that's bearing their cross. That's not bearing the cross. That's getting rejuvenated so you can continue to bear your cross is what that is, isn't it? We bear a cross outside of here. We don't bring the cross in here. No need to bring the cross in here. The cross is for putting the old man of sin to death when he raises up. When he entices someone to, to do the things that, that they should not be doing. You know, it's enjoyable to do things in this life that's sinful or else it wouldn't be an issue, right? Isn't it enjoyable to tell someone exactly what they got coming when they do something to you? It is a lot of the time, isn't it? For some of us, for some people, not a big deal. Sometimes it's enjoyable to, to drink alcohol or to use drugs or do any kind of thing, but you know, wherever, our weakness lies. That would, that's enjoyable in some way. But look, we can't do that. We have to be steadfast like Christ was. He remained on the cross and, and He did that. And that's what Paul did. You know, the cross is a killing device. We use that to put that old man of sin to death, that old woman of sin to death. Old, not in, the, in terms of age, but old as in that's not who I want to be anymore. That's the old me, Right? I want to be the new me, Romans 6, 3 and 4, that new creature that comes up out of that water having had the sins of this world washed away to walk in a new life. Living a new life is what that means, right? Prayer helped Jesus 
to remain dedicated. Have you ever noticed that when you read about the Lord, any time that he needed to make an important decision, he prayed? Going to choose the, the apostles, he prayed to God. He was going to face death on the cross. He went a little further into the garden, just he by himself, and, and he prayed to the Father. Isn't that the example we ought to use? That's the, one of the greatest blessings and benefits that, that the Christian has in this life. Prayer. Being able to, to unload the things of this life off of our own shoulders, those things that we cannot affect, those things that, that we cannot change in any way and give them to uh, God, let Him carry those. That's what, that's what the Christ did in the garden, Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. With great tears and crying, he just handed that over to the Father because he knew he was going to go. No sense in worrying about it anymore, right? But that didn't take the emotion out of it. That didn't take the, the dread of being murdered out of it. But he simply didn't have to worry about whether he was going to do it or not. He knew he was. Peter said, First Peter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Verse 7, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. When we can't affect something in this life, let's give it to God. Let's give it to God. If we can't affect it, let's affect it. If we can't, let's give it to Him. He'll take care of it. He knows what to do, right? But you know what happens? And we know what happens when, we, when we're not steadfast. We know what happens when uh, we do not remain faithful. The prophet said we would fall away. And if that happens... The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 6, 6 says, We renew him afresh. Talking about the Christ, the man who gave himself for us. Isn't once once enough? One time is enough, right? Let's not continually uh, bring him to an open shame like that. Christ taught the, the disciples to pray. Let's pray. Let's pray that we'll be steadfast, right? Let's, let's pray that we can maintain the plan, that we can be persistent, that we can be... Uh, faithful and continue to do that. Let's use that uh, avenue of prayer to help us to do that. But if we do not have the right relationship with God, we're not going to have a plan. We're not going to be persistent. We're not going to do any of those things. But here's something that will happen. When this time is over in the world and we go into eternity, it'll be time to pay. That's our third and final point. We'll have to pay. And we'll have to pay... Uh, for the things we did. Jesus paid for the sins of the world by being crucified. He paid one time. Paid one time. How many times do we need to make Him pay? Again, once is enough, right? Now, if we're walking in the light as He is in the light, our, our sins are continually cleansed because we need that as, as humans. But when we step outside the light, we're, we're ignoring the great gift of crucifixion that He gave us, right? The first sin required the death of an innocent. That's the way it goes with sin. For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. The first couple sinned, God killed an innocent and clothed them because they were running running around that garden or hiding in that garden in what amounts to underwear. They weren't clothed enough. God made clothing from an innocent. He killed an animal. Animals are not people, no matter what some of the groups in the world say today. We have dominion over animals. They're here for our benefit. We're not to mistreat them. But God killed an innocent so the first couple could be clothed, and that was because of sin. 
So Christ gave His life so we could be clothed in righteousness. Not His righteousness. You know, we don't sing that verse of the song. Uh, clothed in His righteousness alone. We've talked about that. We're clothed in our righteousness. His righteousness made it uh, possible for us to be righteous, to stand justified. But, Christ died so we could be clothed in justness and righteousness. And we need to understand that. We're going to pay. Jesus paid. And if we don't live the way He wants us to, to live in this life, we're going to pay. He was crucified to take care of that sin. And we need to... Count the cost and understand what we're getting ourselves into. That's all part of Christ being an example. Do you think Jesus weighed the price before He came to the world? Do you think within the Godhood they had a conversation and that each one of them understood the price that was about to be paid? Absolutely 100%. We need to do that as Christians. Christ talked about that in the parables of uh, counting the cost, Luke 14, 28. Talked about building a tower. Talked about going to war. Don't you sit down and make sure you have enough money before you start building a project. I've got a friend of mine. I haven't seen him in many, many years. But he's had this ongoing project for probably 40 years. He's been building a house slash barn for as long as I can remember. And it's just like he builds and builds and he builds a little bit. About half of it rots away and he builds a little bit and and I don't think he ever had the money to complete it, so he just kind of did it a little bit as long. And I guarantee it's been years since I've been by there, but it's probably in the same shape or worse it was last time I saw it. You know, it's just like uh, it becomes a joke, doesn't it? That's what Christ was talking about. How many generals or leaders of the army go to battle without first determining whether what their chances are of winning? Or how many how many men they need to go in? Well, they might do it, but they'll only do it once, right? They'll only do it once. And if they're fortunate, if they send an ambassador with the white flag, then they can come to terms of peace, but that doesn't always happen either, does it? Jesus requires a great price to be paid, and we need to sit down and count the cost of that price. Are we serious about following Jesus? Well, it costs something, and it costs a lot. And we need to consider that. Jesus begged the world, didn't he? Matthew seven thirteen through 14. Go in the, the straight gate, the narrow path. Don't go in the broad gate, the wide gate, and the broad path. He begged the world to, to make a choice. And we need to make that choice. And we need to understand the Christian life is a life of sacrifice. That's what we read from Matthew 20. It's a life of sacrifice. He's the example. He was going to go give himself. What do I owe him? In response to what he gave me, I owe him a life of sacrifice. I need to be able to look around and and do the things necessary. The writer of Hebrews said that Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with his people than to enjoy sin for a season, Hebrews 11.25. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to lay up treasure in heaven. He counted the cost. Listen, he gave up more than we'll ever give up. He didn't give up the most of what we read about of people in the Bible, but he gave up a lot. He left the very uh, uh, palace of the ruling kingdom of the known world at that time. But he he would rather go suffer with God's people than to, to than to suffer with the heathen in hell, didn't he? And that's a choice we need to choose. Sacrifice sinful joy for the reward of heaven. Give up what we love for what we love more, right? 
We see Peter uh, talking about having not counted the cost. Count the cost because if you go back into the world, Second Peter 2, 20-22, he said it's like the proverb, right? Dog turns and eats its vomit, the sow gets back in the mud hole. Worse for those who have known the way of righteousness and to have left it than if they'd never known it at all. We need to count the cost. To choose Christ is to choose sacrifice. That's His example. He is our example. Are we serious about following Jesus? Well, I think we are. But if we're going to be successful, we have to have a plan. We have to be persistent. Because we don't want to have to pay that ultimate price in eternity. We don't want to do that. Christ was crucified, so we need to count the cost, make the correct decision. And we're able to do that. We've been given all the information. We understand what it means to, to become a Christian. I look out over the audience and think all of us here are Christians. We need to be able to, to remind people how to become a Christian, right? We need to be able to give them book, chapter, and verse. I think that's very important. How do we, why do we have to have faith? Well, Romans 10, 17 says that that faith comes from hearing the Word of God. Without it, Hebrews 6, 6, impossible to please God. Or Hebrews 11, 6, it's impossible to please God. We need to be able to, to uh, remember those references, right? Let's write them in our Bible. Let's, let's do something. Let's memorize them. I'm not a good, uh, good at memorization anymore, but, uh, you know, let's write it in our Bibles. How do we know we need to repent? Because C- Peter preached that. He preached it in Acts chapter 2, or it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. He reminded the people, recorded in Acts chapter 3, right, verse 19, repent, be converted. Jesus talked about repentance, Luke uh, uh, 14, Luke 13, there you go, Kathy. Luke 13, verses 3 and 5. I had it, I forgot it. That's why I got it written in my Bible. Confess Christ before people. That's what the Ethiopian eunuch did in Acts chapter 8. He did it in verse 37, recorded for us. We read about how they went down into the water. Why did they go into the water? Because it's absolutely necessary if one wants to be saved. It is at that point that we have our sins washed away, Acts 22, verse 16. These are simple passages. Let me tell you, if I can remember them, anybody can. And then we live that life of faithfulness. We already talked about 2 Peter 4, verses 6 through 8. Revelation 2, verse 10. We just continue on. We talked about... 1 Corinthians 15, 57 and 58 this morning about always abounding in the work of the Lord that, that our work is not done in vain, right? We understand that. And so we need to be able to tell people that. But we also need to understand sometimes we may make a mistake in this life where we step outside the light. We're not talking about walking in the light and making a mistake and recognizing that and working hard. But sometimes Christians step outside the light and that's not what we want. We don't want to do that. So we need to have an idea of how we come back into the light. Repenting of those sins. Stopping doing them, right? I stop doing them. I make a confession. And sometimes it has to be publicly. If all people know about, more people than I can go to, know about something I've done that is sinful, I have to make a public repentance. A public confession. That doesn't mean revelation, but I need to own the sin and admit I've done something. And the people who are aware of it will know about it. And then we ask the church to pray with us and for us. Right? The church will forgive us and God will forgive us. If you stand in need to answer this invitation, maybe you haven't been as serious about following Jesus as maybe perhaps you thought you were. Let that be known as we stand and as we sing.